This is the most fantastic story I've ever heard. And every word of it's true, too. That's the fantastic part of it. Didn't you really feel so bad because killing him felt so good? And why shouldn't it feel good? You must feel good to God. He does it all the time. Bring some of this, Michael. Be one of us. Is that uh, absolutely necessary? Yes. What did he say? He's, he's afraid it is. Ah, oh, fine. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. You see? You see? Your stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. Kill your brother. You'll feel better. White lines in the middle of the road. It's the worst place to drive. Stevie beep bop bop. All right, I don't know about you, but if you've ever, <laughs> I don't know about you. Welcome back to the cult of classics. We have returned, and if you ever felt the decisions are a pain, and you rather just chew bubble gum and leave the thinking up to others, then we've got a great film for you today. Free yourself from control and loosen that a grip on autonomy. Let's take a walk down Main Street and obey without question our authoritarian master of horror, John Carpenter. <laughs> it's They Live. Hell yeah. Free yourself from control. Okay. Well, my intro made you laugh a lot. Yeah. All right. The so, was great. They Live is a nice little bitty, yeah. uh, a nice little bop. We're starting off with John Carpenter again. Yeah, we so, came back to John Carpenter. Season two, we're coming back to John Carpenter. It's on, did you make that decision? Because you made the decision on where to start. Yeah, I did it. Uh, you know, my, my brain just works in continuity. Was, okay. You know, we're talking about bookends. Well, book beginnings. I will say, just as a spoiler, going from The Thing to They Live, <laughs> if you want to know which movie I like more, it's... It's the thing by a lot. There is a dramatic drop in quality. This is post-Carpenter in uh, studio form, I believe. Uh, this is when he's already kind of given up on big studio pictures. Mm-hmm. But this is his only number one at the number one of the box office opening weekend film. Yeah. And he apparently, like, you know, that was a really big thing for him. And, you know, it as it should him. be. Yeah, it would it stuck with me with too. Him. Yeah. All right, so we start the film off with our... Main character who we will just call Nada. Nada. Because he doesn't have a name. It is never spoken throughout the film. Throughout the entire movie. Um, I honestly think that somebody just forgot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Carpenter no. just forgot. Or uh Frank Armitage forgot. Yeah. Who is which is Carpenter's pseudonym. We could but we just call him he's just played by Rowdy Roddy Piper, and for the rest of this we'll just say uh Roddy Piper, aka R R P. Yeah. AKA Rowdy Roddy. Rowdy Roddy. The main man. So he's okay, making... Young, thick neck. <laughs> young, strong mullet, too. Yeah. The mullet game in this film is is quaffed and glorious. Mm-hmm. It is a well-kempt mullet. Feathered. He is making his way into the city, and we... Uh, Downtown. He is Walking a, fast. He is a hobo by happenstance and a working man by trade, mm-hmm. which he has to let everyone know constantly. He does have tools with him. It's made mention of, like, five times. Yeah. And he knows how to use them. 
Yes. Although he never confirms it. He's asked, but he never confirms yeah, he just He never has to make good on that. Yeah, he's just like, he just looks at him. He's like, look at me. Come on. I, look, I have a when plaid he, shirt. When he I have up, rough hands. When he shows up to the homeless shelter, and the guy's like, hey, if those you, you know how to use those tools? And he's like, yeah. He's like, I need you to fix my shower then. He's just like, ha, ha, ha. No. <laughs> he, never, he never does it. He never, well, if he did it, he did it off screen. Yeah. So the great thing about this movie and we it, it sets it up very quickly. The city is big and Roddy is small, mm-hmm. and this is a visual distinction meant to convey the theme of the film, which it really hammers home. Yeah, that uh, this is what happens when capitalism runs rampant. Yeah, um, Carpenter himself has said that he made the film to talk about Reaganism and its uh, and its dangers, mm-hmm. but it 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 applies now more than ever, especially like it it is uh it, this is like this is the world when the wealth is concentrated at the very top. And poverty swallows up the middle class. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, we we meet a couple of different characters that really, like, send that home, even beyond Rowdy Roddy. Yeah. Well, even beyond Rowdy Roddy. But it doesn't... You see it right when he comes in. Like, the camera... He looks... He's looking up at the buildings. We, yeah. We shoot up at the big, tall buildings. You know, he came... Mm-hmm. Um, they frame him next to a train. Like, they yeah. just put him in all these environments where even, like, a small. large man looks very small. Because Rowdy Roddy Piper is... Professional wrestler. Yes. And he's yoked as a motherfucker. And he's Canadian. Yeah. He was there on a green card. Yeah, he didn't want to... I read that he didn't yeah. want to... He didn't want to talk about... like Politics. The, yeah. the politics and the social message of the film because he was in the the U.S. on a work visa yeah. when they were promoting it, so he just kind of clammed up about it. Yeah. But he is a stranger in a strange land. Uh, I'd had a visual note here. The film is shot almost entirely with natural light and has very little special effects. Um... Of any kind mm-hmm. and until we put on the uh, the sunglasses and go grayscale. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be the most it has. So Roddy has trouble finding work. Uh, long lines at an unemployment office and a, home, and a hobo camp kind of lets us know that a lot of people are experiencing a similar type of trouble. Uh, and, you, and you hear it uh, either through word of mouth from the homeless people um, that – all over the country, mm-hmm. there's appears to be a growing state of poverty. Yeah, um, and it's alluded to by Frank, um, who he meets in his journey, um, and by Roddy himself at a couple like once he actually starts speaking because he doesn't really do a whole lot of talking for the first few minutes of this film. Yeah, but we we he is immediately treated rudely um, by the woman at the employment office mm-hmm. who tells him there's nothing for him, and then the construction foreman who's overly rude to him. When he like comes simply to him, you know, hat in hand, ask for a job. Oh yeah, he's super rude. He's just like, "What do you fucking want me to pay you for some work or some shit?" Nasty. Yeah, yeah get away from me. Yeah, hey, you disgust me, fucking nasty working man. <laughs> so again, it's just it's the haves and the have-nots are constantly pitted against each other throughout this film. Yeah. It, 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 it's very, very, very upfront and yeah. center. It is. Just right on the nose. Yes, and it is consistent, which is is good. You know, it's I think it's better to let people know what your fucking theme is than for them to be scratching their heads the whole time. That's true, but there's there's letting people know and there's beating you over the head with it. Yeah, and this movie really does just knock you. Well, yeah, Carpenter was not a subtle director. <laughs> He's not a subtle man. He's not a subtle man, but we definitely get the theme. Yeah, yeah we, we do. We sure do. We do fucking know that. All right, so we get uh, a little bit of foreshadowing from this blind street preacher about Mm -hmm. a world of control and being asleep. And this is a common technique 
in literature um, to use a blind man as like a seer mm-hmm. or a prophet. Mm-hmm. Um, Oracle. Oh, yeah. And in this film, our preacher actually turns out to be quite sane, which is unique because usually you get a crazy person or a, a, a guy like an Oracle to say you know, the words of the, the writer that, uh, yeah. Yeah. Somebody who's supposed to like a character who's supposed to be tapped into some sort of like unknown frequency Yeah, that the rest, like it's like a vibration that nobody else can really pick up on, but they can because of their, you know, X, Y, Z disability, different, different perspective or like mental illness that allows them to see through something. This guy is just a part of a larger community of seers who like he's, he, his crazy act is kind of a put on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Roddy does find some work from the rude construction guy, where and he meets, uh, you know, after taking his shirt off uh, and, sh- and showing everyone that, like, indeed, he is swallowed in the motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> I called him the perfect amount of, like, regular masculine dude swole. Yeah. That's what he is in this film. Yeah, he's he's over the edge a little bit. Like, he's... He's over any normal amount. You can't get like that without working out yeah. in a gym. You can't just be like, I work outside and I'm built like this. Yeah. You have to have spent a lot of time in the gym. But like he looks like if he's wearing a shirt and jeans, like yeah. just regular, like button down, normal clothes, he does look like just a regular big guy. Right. And then he's like, surprise, I'm a bodybuilder. Yeah. Surprise. Yeah. So that uh, kudos to, R- first of all, RIP, but kudos to R. you. To a legend. To a motherfucking legend. To a motherfucking legend. Um, I'm a big fan of him in this movie. I just yeah. want to say, I actually really like, I really am a fan of his work because he seems so genuine mm-hmm. on and off the screen. Yeah, I wish that he would have been able to be in more films. Well, he's a very bad actor. Yeah, no, he's a bad actor, but he does have like, he, there. Are, there's a lot of roles where he could have slipped in pretty naturally that I feel like maybe he... he he would have knocked it out if he'd got like a lethal weapon. You think? Yeah, or like kind of like maybe not a lethal. You mean like in the Mel Gibson? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, do Danny I mean it because of the Danny Glover? Because of the mullet? <laughs> yeah. That's immediately where my mind that was yeah. the association I made. He had he had that that role requires too much charisma and too much like you know line uttering. But yeah. like any any kind of strong silent type like Roddy Roddy Piper is really compelling in this movie, especially in the the first. 15, 20 minutes before he really has to start like talking a lot. Yeah. Which I mean, it sounds like an insult, but it's really not. Cause he, he does do a good job. Like he, he emotes very well. His face is, is good. He's got a He's actually got a decent voice. And when he's just like, he's not like, you know, in, into any deep water, he's, he can carry a role. He could have played a great, like working man or like a stepdad. Yes. Yes. He would have made an amazing stepdad. Could character. he have played Kurt Russell's, part in overboard with goldie hahn <laughs> no <laughs> really uh, i mean again too much charisma i don't know kurt russell talks a good bit in overboard but he was like a construction worker right that's true maybe he should have he and, would like, and, you know like the, <laughs> the the thinking is too because carpenter cast roddy and was like, I almost cast Kurt Russell again. Yeah. But he's like, I'd already cast him time. in four movies. <laughs> so in my fifth movie, I decided to cast, well, yeah, it, I decided to cast somebody else. Yeah, uh, I, I decided to cast large Kurt Russell. Large Kurt Russell. He looks a lot like Kurt Russell. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he really looks like him. He, he has kind of the same, like, affect and the same kind of, like, you know, machismo cool type deal as yeah. Kurt Russell does in the thing. But, like, 
I just imagine putting Roddy Piper in the thing, and I'm like, uh-oh. Oh, yeah. We're in trouble now. He would have just screamed a little too much, <laughs> I think. Because it's, it's, it, it's the go-to thing for, for not great actors right. that are very physical to to yell and mm-hmm. emote. But if you want to see his second, my opinion, his second best performance on screen, go take a trip uh, to your local torrent shop or <laughs> Amazon, I guess, yeah. and pick up, if you want to spend money on it, um, Hell Comes to Frogtown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't watch the second one though. Um, the first one is Hell comes back to frog. Uh, the first one is is terrible. And don't look up the director because he like makes a video of him like all in black with a ponytail and like a katana in the desert, and it's just bad. That's a bummer. Yeah, because like, I, I just saw was my shit. It was it was it was bad. So he's he meets his friend Buck, and we get to have a little bit of good dialogue between Buck and Roddy in the hobo camp where. Buck is basically outlining like, hey, you know, you start from this far back in life. You know, there's no way to make it. Like, you know, you, I'm, I tell you, go ahead, give it your best shot. But the whole time I am trying my best to fuck you up at every turn. Mm-hmm. And that, um, and that is, you know, a, a very realistic interpretation of capitalism. I mean, that is, that feels more like the writer and, and Carpenter probably putting their words in right there. Yeah. Um, and then you have Roddy counters with this optimism of, well, as long as I work hard, you know, and follow the rules, I'll be fine. Yeah. Well, and Frank, he has a conversation with Frank too. That's what I was, that's what I was saying. Did I say somebody else? Oh, you said Buck. I thought okay. you were talking about, no, the, I was talking about Frank. Okay. It's Frank. That's my bad. I thought you were talking about the, is the, is the, the older hobo guys named Buck? I, I think the actor's name is Buck. Buck Wild. Yeah, <laughs> cousin of Buck Nasty, he is. Um, but yeah, so they have that conversation, and then the movie takes a weird turn because like Roddy sniffs out some mischief going on at the old church, and I mean, and discovers the source of the transmissions that have been cutting into the TV program. So yeah. while they're at the Hope Camp, they've been watching TV, and TV the whole time throughout this film is in in sharp um, just contrast from. The reality, like yeah. the reality is that people are poor and living on the street. Mm-hmm. On television, people are concerned with fame and um, beauty and yeah. like these beautiful vacations. Yeah. Well, and like it's also it's visually very different because yes. it's all like the movie is all natural light. A lot of it's actually happening outside at this mm-hmm. point, too, because the, the hobo camp is like all out. It's like it's actual camping that they're doing. Yeah. And then the the. TV is like all studio produced news. Like it has that kind of like eighties grain on the TV and like very like heavily made up heavy hair, like heavy hair work going on. Lots of like fancy clothes and fancy clothes in the eighties look even more artificial now just because people were just dressing like they were in space. Yes. So like it's very strong contrast when they're watching TV compared to like this hobo in a camping chair, literally outside, (laughs) like watching news on bunny ears. So while that's going on, a transmission is interrupting them, saying that like we're being controlled. They're we don't know what they are, but they are they're messaging us. They we're obeying them. They're they're keeping you asleep. They're keeping they you. They want asleep. you to buy and to 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 stay asleep and not to you know not to wake up. So Roddy spends several days scouting out this church, and it doesn't ever show him doing anything. It shows a passage of time of like it's day, then it's night, then it's day. The passage of time, yeah, it does get a little. 
hard to track during this sequence. I yeah. Didn't, I thought they could have done maybe a little bit better there. But we don't ever see him go out. We don't ever see him go back to the construction site, which is a little strange. Like, yeah. you, usually that that is something that happens, and it kind of, he would come back to it. But, they, you know, that's a it's an editing choice. Yeah. And um, so they sniffs out some mischief. He gets in there. He checks it out. He discovers the source of the interrupting signal by finding out a group of people uh, in the church mm-hmm. who, and he sees a bunch of sunglasses. Yeah. Well, and he sees like a big, like old school recording, like speaker set playing like a recording that's literally on tape. <laughs> and it what, what struck me about this like clandestine, like, hideaway that they have for this like these people that have the technology to make these sunglasses which we'll talk about in a second and then like the they they have the technology to like hack into a stream like a a, a live tv feed like fucking mm-hmm. uh oh i forget his, his name but they um but they they have these like technological advances and like skills that people who are very advanced in their like kind of like spy 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 fair spy mm. games would be but they also are hidden the worst i've ever seen anybody hide like they got they've got their main go-between guy their main one of their main lieutenants is this dude in a khaki suit and sunglasses with like slick back hair who's just hanging out at the homeless camp all all day like they're always bringing in boxes and taking boxes out and like all you have to do to discover their whole mission is just walk inside this church yeah. Which churches are places where people are welcome to walk in like at any time. At any time. <laughs> and there's a ton of cars parked in there. Yeah. Um, so there's a police raid that happens and it goes down. It goes down. Like fucking a bulldozer comes, bulldoze the hobo camp for no fucking reason. Yeah. Like the hobo camp seriously not doing anything. Um, also, but they don't bulldoze the church. Which they were they were all at? No, but they set it on fire? Question mark. No, it's like no, because it, it looks burned out when uh, when the, he comes back. When he comes back, but then everything's fine inside. Yeah. Um. So everybody gets like spilled out into the street, and they get whooped on. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned this a little bit because Roddy, in a little bit of trivia on the film, Roddy Roddy Piper said that this scene was hard for him in particular because he was homeless for a while mm-hmm. and saw things like this happen. So yeah, this was a particular particularly powerful and painful scene for him. And a cool thing about John Carpenter is that the homeless camp that they filmed all this at was like an actual homeless camp. And he employed the people that were living there, the homeless people who were living there and paid them for their work and fed them while they were on set, which is pretty cool. That is cool. Classy move, John Carpenter. (laughs) All right. Once Roddy discovers the sunglasses and puts them on, I think we come into Act act two. The sleeper has stopped chewing bubble gum. <laughs> when the when the glasses goes on, Roddy sees the world for what it truly is. It's a horrifying gray place with messages of obedience and the importance for respect for authority. And and what I'm saying is like everything. You put the glasses mm-hmm. on and like the billboards become obey. Yeah. Like everything is grayscale. Everything is subliminal messages. Every advertisement, every magazine. They're not even subliminal. They're just straight out and... Yeah. Open. Yeah. And this is where we get the 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 obey sign, which is yeah. like iconic in this movie and also inspired uh Shepherd Ferry to do the the new obey uh logo and, and you know that has spawned into its own thing. But I thought it's cool that it comes from they live. Yeah. Like it's like a cultural touch point today. It is cool. Um I am not familiar with the with it as 
fashion or anything like that. Yeah, but. well, it's fashion is art. Like that. Okay. He he basically like I think the original installment was that he I think in L.A. put up a giant billboard that said obey and it's in like the, the same kind of typeface as it is uh, in this movie. Okay, cool. Yeah. So just directly. Yeah, inspired. yeah. He's like, I was inspired by it. I was like, it is this. It is this. <laughs> <laughs> and we finally see though, Roddy finally sees one of the fucking aliens. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you've seen the film, you know, the aliens, they are an ugly motherfuckers. They really are hideous. They've got these insanely crazy eyeballs that are popping out of their skull and mm-hmm. no skin. And just teeth. They look like if you pulled zombie skin over C-3PO. Yeah, that is what they look like. Yeah. And apparently they were all um, the same guy, Jeffy Mata. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's pretty neat little acting. Because, I mean, you don't really see too many of them next to one another. Well, when they're next to each other, it's different people. It's only the people, it's only when they're speaking. Yeah, yeah. But, I th- yeah, it's, they, it's dubbed over. It's just that he could fit into the outfit. Yeah. And the design was was actually really neat because they're they're definitely creepy. It's they're not as the special effects for these monsters are nowhere near the caliber of work that you see in the thing. No, not even remotely. No, but like they're still like they're creepy enough for what this movie because this movie isn't really a horror movie. No, it's not a horror. Movie. It's more of like a social statement thriller. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yes, excellent and. Now the now that we're in Act Two, this is where Roddy really gets to shine because the fucking we're disgusted by him. He's disgusted by him. He calls this woman a formaldehyde face, and <laughs> he really pops off when he, he gets pops into the grocery off store. On the grocery store, <laughs> and it's it's time now. We get like a solid fifteen minutes of ass whooping and killing ugly ugly motherfuckers as he tries to escape like the city. Yeah, dude. Um, once he breaks, he breaks all the way instantly instantly he's like for a couple seconds he's like seeing signs is just say obey marry and reproduce consume and then yeah. he's just like he sees the the beings and he's like what did he say <laughs> and then he sees a lot of them in one place and he's like all right time to start killing he goes into a fucking bank <laughs> Killing. <laughs> just starts killing them immediately so many yeah. of them. and they immediately recognize it like there is no mystery solving like yeah. there is no detection there's no subversion like it's just a me it's on site yeah it's on site he's like it's on site for you and they're like it's on site for you <laughs> yes it's on site <laughs> for both of them at the same damn time yeah. and i just want to take a minute as this carnage rolls by to appreciate some of the great one-liners spoken in this film let's get it um i came here to chew bubble gum and kick ass and i'm all out of gum El Clásico. That's the one he says when he walks into the bank, which is later used in Duke Nukem. Mm-hmm. Um, and in uh, Days and Confused. And in Days and Confused. Uh, just that idiot licking his nuts again. <laughs> <laughs> this was said by Buck the Hobo. About somebody on TV. It's somebody on TV. It was like, just that idiot licking his nuts again. White lines in the middle of the road. It's the worst place to drive. <laughs> that was... That was Roddy's comeback to Frank yeah. when they were talking about playing it safe. Or- yeah, going straight down the middle of the road. That Frank says, he's like, I just like to keep it straight down the middle of the road. Yeah. And <laughs> Roddy's response is, white lines in the middle of the road. That's the worst place to drive. You know that that conversation is fucked because their positions like flip-flopped before anything happened? Because Frank started being the one being like, the system is rigged. 
Yeah. And Roddy's like, no, just play it by the rules. If I and, just work hard, I'll get ahead. And then they flip their positions in a way. Yeah. Without any motivation behind it. No. no. It was before everything happened. Like, it's really early. Yeah. It's, uh, well, you know. They're just robo-tripping in the homeless camp. <laughs> An honorable mentions, <laughs> life's a bitch, and she's back in heat. And this one, I just put like 10 question marks by it <laughs> because I was like, so life's a, a bitch in heat. Does that mean that you, you're trying to fuck life? Mm-hmm. But... I'm I'm confu- I'm a little confused. Life okay, so life is a bitch, like a female. Period. Dog. End of statement. Usually, yes, life's a bitch, and she's back in heat, implying that I guess if she's she, even worse than usual. That's like she's trying to she's trying to fuck you. You're right. Trying, you're about to get so it's screwed even over. worse. So it's like so life's yeah, it's a like bitch. You're about to get screwed over. Okay. It doesn't it doesn't make sense. <laughs> But we try. Okay. All right. We do our best. I'll take it there. And then the last one, Ain't Life Grand. And this is a small thing. I just really didn't like the line. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. The deliveries suffer on some of these. Well, it was in the hotel scene, and we'll get into it. But the hotel is, I think, the roughest time in the movie for Roddy. Yeah. All right. So Roddy eventually has to kidnap Holly, who has a full name that escapes me right now. But she's the only character in the film with a full name. Mm-hmm. Um, she kidnaps Holly. He kidnaps Holly. And they have a pretty good back and forth. I like this scene because she never really lets him get away with being anything other than a kidnapper. Kidnapper, mm-hmm. like, because he keeps trying to be like, you know, I'm. And she's like, yeah, you're in power. You have a fucking gun on me. You have no, like, you're not gonna. We're not gonna get into anything. What's up? We're not gonna get into anything fucking uh, resembling a Stockholm syndrome. Like, yeah, you you know, you're in power because you have a a gun. Um, and then when she knocks him out the window, she hits him with the cleanest spinning bottle break of all fucking time. I had to, I had to back her ties because I thought that somebody else had just entered the frame. No, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> Cause she spins around so quickly and just like, like knocks him on the head with the bottle. And then he goes flying out a window. I was like, wait, which is what you get when you have a professional wrestler as your main guy yeah that like the stunt work is gonna be fine he <laughs> she clips him bro mm-hmm. like she like it's one smooth motion yeah she delivers to the head just an a, a game-changing blow james like jason Bourne. yeah like she would have killed most men mm-hmm. instantly on mm-hmm. impact just the no hesitation it was fucking fire yeah so he's knocked down and beaten roddy wanders around until he finds his buddy frank again and he tries to convince him to join up with him. But Frank, having seen the news, believes that Roddy is a homicidal maniac because yeah. while Roddy was, you know, killing people in the bank, like to everyone else, he just killed like 30 people yeah, and yeah. escaped capture. And by the way, these are the easiest police to escape capture from maybe in any movie. Like <laughs> yeah. they, they, they literally have walkie talkies all over the place, spy drones in the air, mm-hmm. and they just still can't catch a fucking regular dude. Yeah, just whenever he decides to run away. Yeah, he just runs away and like there's later there's wanted posters all over television and he just turns his head down. Like doesn't even put on a hoodie. Yeah. I mean, it's he doesn't change his clothes. He doesn't yeah, get a haircut. He doesn't do nothing. anything different besides just be like I don't want people to see me and people are like oh, we don't see you. It's fine. Like it's it's 
pretty nuts. And they just can't catch him. They're just bumbling. And the one scene where he finds, like, he's got the sunglasses on and he sees that there's a human cop and he tells him to... Beat your feet. Beat his feet. And the guy just runs away. I'm just like, that's not that. That's not how that works. No. That is not how that works at all. The, the bank scene, just to go back to it real fast, I love it because, like, I don't know if Tommy Boy was inspired by it, <laughs> but it really reminds me of that scene where he walks in with all the road flares strapped to him, and he's just like, everybody be cool. This will only take a second. It's yeah. like the hilarity of just, like, he's... Ronnie Piper is strapped to the motherfucking neck. Because he had just killed two cops. Yeah, and he took their handguns, a shotgun, and, like, some... A nightstick. Uh, yeah. And a, and a, a walkie-talkie. Yeah, and so he's got, like, a fucking utility belt full of weapons, and he's holding a shotgun, and he just, like, takes cover in a building because buildings make you not look like you have ten guns. And, like, it's a bank, yeah. and he, everybody just immediately looks at him like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I love that they set him up to be like, oh, he escaped the cops with his, like, two-way cop radio but they yeah. never use it yeah, yeah, they never yeah. use it in fact i think it's gone by the time he's leaving the bank <laughs> he just never uses the shit <laughs> he just goes on a carnage rampage which is awesome all right so frank is like telling roddy to fuck off yeah because now he is taking the position of the straight and narrow yeah and roddy's like put these motherfucking sunglasses put on. these sunglasses on <laughs> and they have one of the longest fight scenes in movie history. It's like five minutes and 30 seconds. Yes. And it is really, really dope. It's, yeah. it's, it's the, probably the best part of the movie. Yeah. It's the, hilariously long though. It's they, super long. And, and they core, they worked on it for like two months apparently. Yeah. And they did it. They rehearsed in the backyard of John Carpenter's like production office. Mm hmm. And it's just got beating the shit out of each just, other, and they don't they don't hold back either. Like the punches are real body shots. Yeah, unless they're hitting themselves in the face or the groin, they're they're really fighting. Yeah, and it like it culminates. One of the greatest parts is a off the wall suplex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That RRP RRP puts on Frank. Real. So they they fight it out to a cartoonish level, to where like one of them should be in the hospital, but. They get up and they're just a little, their faces are swollen. Yeah. They're beat up. Frank has put on the sunglasses and he sees these fucking aliens. Yeah, so they like, go, oh, damn. So they go back together to a hotel. And this is where the movie takes a quick nosedive. And I know that Roddy tried his hardest, but he tells the story yeah. of his dad. And it's this very strange, kind of disjointed story that doesn't really let us know anything about him because we already knew that he was willing to fight these aliens. It wasn't running out of like fear, but anyway, yeah. yeah. Like, cause it's <laughs> yeah. like, it's like the story goes something like my dad was a real son of a bitch. He chased me around one time with like a razor and like held it up to my throat. Yeah. And he would like chase me. Well, like, so Roddy Piper, I was... But I was, I'm not running anymore. There's some some interviews, and I think on the, the DVD commentary, they talk about John Carpenter and Roddy Piper talk about how that Nada has a backstory, but John Carpenter assigned Roddy Piper, like, to create Nada's backstory to help him get into character. And then, so Roddy Piper creates this huge long backstory about Nada, and, like, there's re apparently reasons behind everything that he does. But then John Carpenter tells him not to tell anybody what the backstory is, not even him. So Carpenter now is directing an actor who has 
this huge backstory for his character, but he doesn't understand it as why, the actor. Why would he? You know what? Cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> like it was 88. <laughs> they were doing a lot of cocaine. Yeah, I must have been because that shit is. It doesn't make any sense. It's a real bold decision. It's Cotton. such a wild choice as a director to be like, you understand this and I'll direct you, but I don't know your character. It's like trying to hurt a cat. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't I was it was trying to steer it. So wild to me. Yeah, because the story doesn't tell us anything about Roddy's character. No. Like I said, it's supposed to be like, hey, I'm not running anymore. But it's like, bro, you have been a badass this whole time. Yeah. You you found these guys and you went on a fucking shooting spree. We know that you are not running. <laughs> like, we know that you just had to escape capture, but you are a, a for real dangerous dude. Yeah. Like, no one doubts you at all. We don't need to know about your vulnerable past for this, but all right. So... <laughs> They join up with the rebellion, yeah, um, which has reconvened under the watchful protection of Khaki a suit. a uh, no a chubby biker cop, oh yeah, chubby yeah. biker who lets them in mm-hmm. and also tells them there's something new going on. <laughs> like they join up with the resistance. Hey brothers, <laughs> <laughs> they join up the resistance. They get um, contact lenses instead of the sunglasses, which is I thought was a good little bit of screenwriting. Yeah. And the sunglasses would have become untenable in like a, And you give your actors your eye, their eyes back. Yes. So people can see their faces. Yeah. So, but lo and behold, there's Holly. She joins up and she gives this like really seemingly sincere apology, which I, I wasn't a huge fan of because I didn't feel that she did anything wrong with the information that she had. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I guess they had to be like, oh, yes, she must apologize to him. This is the, the strangest interaction in the movie to me. Like, I feel like, I mean, I know it was just five minutes, but John Carpenter was just like, all right, so we got all this blasting and all this fighting and we're not going to really focus too much on developing anybody's character or relationship because even when Frank and, and Nada beat the shit out of each other, they've known each other for like three days. Tops. Like, and they worked together one day, but not even really together. Like they've, before the hotel scene, they've spoken to each other for like 10 minutes total. The hotel scene was really the attempt to do that. And yeah. I think that they just kind of... But they don't do it. They don't earn any of the the, the relationship between Nada and Holly either because like yeah. he is definitely obsessed with her. Like he is drawn to her and... Well, not obsessed, but like he's drawn to her. He wants to, to work with her and help her and like be around her. But at this point, he's just... she's To him, she's just somebody who he has kidnapped and used to get away. And then like who also just happens to be at this rally after she knocked him on the head with a wine bottle and sent him, you know, catapulting down a hundred yard hill to maybe his death. They knew each other. Sorry for like 30 minutes, maybe Yeah, in their world. But in the movie world, it was like two minutes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, The movie's only an hour and 30. So they, Probably could have used at least 20 minutes more. Hour 25 of, if you cut out the fight scene. Yeah, hour 25 <laughs> you cut out the fight scene of of really Holly and, and Nada getting some kind of interaction. But that would have required for him to say his fucking name. That's true. Because she would have been like, what's your name? <laughs> I, I mean, at a certain fucking point. Um, <laughs> so, oh. The, the this meeting also gets busted up and this time instead of just beating people they're shooting we also get some information about the watch from a tech guy who's like about the watches that all the aliens mm-hmm. carry about how like i was like i don't know they disappear they can do their little disappearing trick 
But this is where we learn that John Carpenter does not understand explosions yeah. at all. Or doesn't have the budget for anything. Ho- no. <laughs> There's a huge explosion of like the wall exploding. But Holly and Roddy Roddy Piper are like right next to the fucking <laughs> yeah, wall. Yeah, that's true. They're really close <laughs> to the wall. Right up on When it, it blows up towards them <laughs> and bricks fly and blow up at them. Um nothing happens they're fine they're fine (laughs) they're good later also we get a great example of this because they get a grenade and when they're inside of like the alien tv studio and they throw it like three feet from them yeah at the foot of a door no that well the studio was soundproofed (laughs) so so the explosion was muted for sure but that doesn't change the power of the explosion well no maybe it does maybe it was still airflow alien technology yeah. yeah okay well there's a grenade so then we get to what i consider this to be act three because now the goal has changed and we're we're in full-on revolt against the aliens well yeah i guess yes this is the this will be the conclusion he's joined the movement as soon as he joins the movement the movement gets disbanded or murdered like everybody who's taken part in it all the leadership the the priest has long since been gone oh the priest got beat to death in the initial Oh, for sure. And initial, the, but uh, then like, but I thought raid. Khaki Sue guy also was getting beaten. No, he escaped. He escaped. Okay. He escaped. We didn't see him get beaten. All right. So the last goal, tear down the antenna. So Roddy and Frank managed to escape after another raid by accidentally activating the watch that can make a portal yeah. that leads directly to the alien stronghold, which is really convenient because no one at the uh, resistance had any kind of a plan, mm-hmm. any kind of an idea of where the antenna was. But the people at the resistance had the watches. Yes. So I guess they just hadn't figured them out yet. They, hadn't they just had hadn't figured them out. No, they that's what the tech to... guy says. He yeah. said we hadn't figured them out. Um, so they just wander around the alien stronghold until they stumble into a gala with a bunch of aliens and rich people where they say like, Hey, we have your profits have are record high. You know, you have given us the resources we needed. You know, you're doing great. Illuminati type shit. Illuminati type shit. It's the, it's the 0.01%. Mm-hmm. And then we get to find our old friend, hobo, uh, nut liquor. <laughs> um, the Sobo that was somehow important enough to warrant a deal from the aliens. And I thought this was weird because he is suddenly one of the elite, the rich and powerful, because he took the alien deal. Yes. they. He went from not like two days prior yes. sitting in a lawn chair in a homeless camp uh, where many other homeless people who were at the same camp when it was raided by the police were killed or just run off. But for some reason, they decided to offer this older homeless gentleman uh a deal to be in the illuminati to make him rich and powerful which i don't know a deal implies that he had something to offer i cannot for the life of me imagine what that it, it was it could be his colorful language and descriptions mm. of people that go against because he called them he called him a, he said he was licking his nuts again about yeah. the resistance guy oh yeah they like that they thought he was funny yeah that's I, probably what he did he amused like a, them he's a jester man he's a little clown yeah <laughs> they were like dance little clown they they got his quaff right though i'll say that they did they pimped that out they gave him a fucking a, a straight up pompadour and and they they were like listen you can do this but only if you say boys 
every other sentence. Yeah. <laughs> and I like though that he he once they meet up with him, he not only um immediately <laughs> assumes that they have also been offered the same deal that right. he got because why not? They're just doling them out to random homeless people. Like <laughs> but also they're not wearing tuxedos. They're not like yeah, everybody, everybody else. It's like a gala. They're yeah. everybody's in like formal wear and tuxedos and these guys they literally look like they just got done fighting 20 guys because they were just one of them was just in a explosion yeah and they like they they walk up on him and he's just like nice to see you i assume that you're here on purpose what's good let's go ahead and let me take you to, on a tour around the entire facility which first of all i know inside and out i have been here for 24 hours and i know all the security guys i know where everything is i know where the control room is i know about the entire cable operation like let me show you everything he's like listen <laughs> i know that generally there is a lot of obstacle to yeah. get through but we are just gonna jump right over that he's he eliminates like, all obstacles yeah. for them. he's just like oh i didn't know they gave you boys a deal and they're like huh. and he's like bah, 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 i don't want to hear anything let's, yeah. let's get right to showing you around let me this show you how facility. everything works and and where you can destroy the antenna yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah he's an exposition machine and he just gives him the keys to the castle um I was really disappointed when he stopped to show them how their travel worked, which it seemed like that could set up like a cool thing of like mm -hmm. putting a nuke directly into the home world or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. They could have gone after like the, the alien, the source of the, the evil aliens, but we didn't have time for it. Or like a virus rigged up with an explosion. It's like the scene and their, their travel mechanism, like their, their alien airport is like the scene in galaxy quest where they cover yeah. Tim Allen and in, in slime and shoot him back to earth. Yes. I was just like, that's pretty dope. Yeah. I wonder if that's where they got it from. Probably. Um, anyway, Roddy and Frank get close to the antenna. Uh, they start getting close to the antenna, and they just start blasting. Once he's led them all the way to the TV room, they're just like, fuck this. So anyway, I started blasting. Yeah. <laughs> they search for Holly and find her, but she turns to be, uh, she is a double-crossing asshole, uh -huh. and she shoots Frank. And then there is this moment on the roof where she appeals to Roddy, but he says, no, nah, Fuck that bitch. And guns her down with <laughs> his little bitch. gun. Because <laughs> hey, she, she takes him, she makes him drop his main gun. She takes out his, he takes out his little gun. Mm -hmm. Then he takes out the antenna with his little gun, is killed in the process, and gives yeah. a limp little bird to the aliens in the helicopter. Yeah, because the aliens show up in a helicopter as he's getting ready to shoot up the antenna. And then you know, rather than shoot him, they just allow him the time to shoot. Yeah. Well, they're like, we we can make a deal. You don't have to do this. They're like we make deals with everybody player. <laughs> you can't get a deal. We are very generous. Yeah. We're very <laughs> generous. There's really no reason why we couldn't just elevate everybody on earth. And then it would not even be a hostile takeover. Everybody would be like, hell yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, that would be a different movie. That would be a different movie. <laughs> but I also think it's funny that none of the people, the aliens at the gala, or the guards recognized Roddy Roddy Piper when he especially he's, after all of the other aliens have recognized him instantly, instantly as an enemy. Yeah, <laughs> and he's just got like they've got like two fucking guns tucked in their pants too. Like very, oh man, they, they really they just they didn't want there to be a lot of obstacles in his path. No, not at they, all. They really want to make it an easy trek to the antenna. All right, so my closing thoughts on They Live is the film has a strong theme that it effectively conveys throughout. Very effective, very yes. bluntly. It has a great fight sequence. I like Roddy, and I wish he had had better roles. 
I think the one-liners in the movie can be really fucking cringe at times. Uh, but I, but I think this is an important movie. Gabe Carpenter is number one at the box office with an opening weekend. Mm-hmm. Very creative idea, uh, original with really strong visuals. But I think like most of Carpenter's movies, it suffers from um, poor either screenwriting or adaptation of that script. Also, yeah. the film of this, the score of this film fucking sucks. Yeah, like it really does nothing to heighten the tension or lift the mood at any oh. point. It's just a plodding, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> guitar chord <laughs> with like a harmonica thrown in it sometimes. Yeah, it is really bad. It's really bad. And John Carpenter, like famous for writing scores to his own mm-hmm. movie or like theme songs to his own movies with these really cool like synth wave kind of themes, like eighties synth themes, mm-hmm. and, and here he just goes for this like podunk like entry level bruce willis like playing at the fucking house of blues yeah baseline <laughs> with like this like inconsistent weird harmonica it's it's awful and it doesn't fit for for maybe one of the most modern stories that carpenter has told yeah it is it doesn't make any fucking sense no it's a terrible i'm sure they just did it to save money yeah probably. it was a really shitty score but um, like yeah it was it was it was bad yeah it's um it uh, is it, it. I think it's just poor writing that that, that the film suffers from because like Roddy Piper could have been better in this role for sure, but I, he was doing a good job I think on his own. I don't think he was getting a whole lot from John Carpenter because he wasn't even interested in learning the backstory of his main fucking character. Right. But um, Keith David does great in this movie as Frank. John Carpenter bringing back Keith David after the thing. He really liked him in that movie. Um, it, yeah, it's uh. It's just really, it, it, he has, he doesn't give himself the time within the script to effectively earn any of his characters interactions, which I think is the biggest problem with this film. And at like, a it's cl- not a character driven story. It is not, but it should be because like he, he goes, he goes above and beyond to whack you over the head with this metaphor and with this message, but he does it at the cost of every character being incredibly shallow, like in every interaction being incredibly shallow, because when you're just having people bump, bump into one another and being like, hello, my name is Frank and I'm from Detroit <laughs> and I'm from, I, I send money to my wife and kids, but the system is rigged and here we go. And then like yeah. not a bumps into, into the homeless guy and he's like, he's like, Oh, there's some wacky shit going on in the church here. To, oh, police right in the church right now. Here we go. <laughs> like, it's just, it's, it's, it, it's, harmful to the overall message of the film because it makes the viewing experience less effective because you don't really care that much about anybody except maybe not and Frank a little bit. But yeah. even then you're like, these guys are just, they don't even show Frank die. No, they don't just, even. Yeah. You she, just hear the sound of the gun. He dies off screen. He dies off screen. So again, you don't build any, uh, you don't build any emotional reaction from Roddy Piper when he shoots her. Like we don't get that as the audience. We're not, we're not in line with the yeah. way the character's feeling because we don't know how the character's feeling. Cause really, cause they don't show it. Don't they they don't build him. it. So <laughs> yeah, the, the, that is really, I forgot to mention the last shot of the scene in the movie is after the antenna goes down, everything goes into color mm-hmm. again. And because the one antenna does control the entire disguise of every alien. <laughs> yeah, I guess in the city. I don't know. Maybe over the world. Who knows? Um, but they didn't. The homeless guy didn't tell me if he had told me. <laughs> That's true. He just he, just, told he me. just like pops back up. He's like, well, it turns out, well, well, boys, <laughs> the, the, the that little antenna there's covers the entirety of the world. Don't you understand, boys? 
Um, but it was uh, they, there's just like a scene where all the everyone can see the aliens now, and then there's like a little call out uh, to George Romero and John Carpenter, where which is you know their style, but I think is a super lame, very lame move. Yeah, in my opinion, to call yourself out in your own movie. The filmmakers like George A. Romero and John Carpenter really need to ease up on the violence in this, like. You're calling yourself violent, like you're you're mocking those people that call you violent. But yeah. again, it's kind of self-aggrandizing, and you're inserting yourself in your world, which kind of weakens your world. But you, he doesn't really care about that. Like that's not yeah. that's not really John Carpenter style. He's all into the slapstick and winking at the camera, and mm-hmm. and that's fine. I mean, that's his that's his thing. I personally, I'm you know violently opposed to subtlety. Yeah, but. I still think they live is a is a good cult classic and it's worth a watch. It's fun. It's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. I give it five um, five radical Liams. Okay. Uh, I give it seven radical Liams out of twenty. Oh damn! I was, <laughs> no, I was out of ten. No, not really. It's a, they live is fun. There's a lot of like cultural moments that happen, like iconic kind of moments, like the. It, it's worth a watch. It's it's brief. It's fun. It's not that like. I mean, it's it's got like a big social message, but it's very easy to digest because yeah. there is no substance behind it. It's just a, like an extended metaphor. And uh, Roddy Piper is great. Keith he is. is great. He is. They, they both, both do are. great jobs. Then that Holly girl has the most startling blue eyes. She does. It's yeah. wild how blue. I kept looking at him and I was like, these must be contacts. Then I looked at images of her and I was like, nope, those are real. I just got ice in my veins. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all for uh, listening to the Cult Classics and we will see you next time. Goodbye. My name is Liam.